Moving day means that you and your things are in for a big transition. There's a lot to figure out. New closets, different counter space, change of floor plan. No worries. CubeSmart is here to help make your move as easy as possible. Online or in person, CubeSmart provides a self-storage experience that puts the focus on you because you matter most. Moving can be costly, and that's why CubeSmart is offering up to 25% off your monthly rent. Say goodbye to moving stress and hello to your new address with CubeSmart self-storage. Visit CubeSmart.com for more details. You're into your shows, right? Well, then listen up. If you have Xfinity Internet, entertainment starts at free with Flex, so you can get really into your shows. Find your favorites faster with just your voice. The Office. From Peacock to HBO Max and Disney+, Plus, the whole squad's here. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Man, he's moving. Xfinity. It's a way better way to watch. Restrictions apply. Subscriptions required to access streaming services, including Disney+. Plus. Requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet Essentials. One device included. Additional devices, $5 a month. Hi, I'm Chelsea Handler. Welcome to Life Will Be the Death of Me, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, good morning, good afternoon. Brandon, what time is it? 9.30. Okay, good to know, good to know. Always keep me posted about the time. We have a very special guest in the studio today, somebody who has been an influence in my life without ever having met him because he co-founded the Headspace app. Brandon, you know how much I love my Headspace. I do, and I'm really leaning into it now. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, he's leaning into it. It's Andy Pudicomi. I'm going to say that yeah. wrong. So I said it wrong, so you can correct me. I mean, I say Pudicum. Pudicum. Yeah, but you can say it however you like. Yeah, Chelsea. because we don't know that you know the right pronunciation of your exactly. last name. Exactly, exactly. Who knows who's right. got it right? First of all, congratulations on a very, very successful app. Thank you very much. And I know you co-founded it with your business partner. Yeah, he's actually a very dear friend. I mean, we we are the most accidental entrepreneurs ever. We started it about 10 or 11 years ago because we felt really passionate about it. We actually started as a not-for-profit, and one thing led to another, and it became this thing. And now it's a thing that about 55, 60 million people have have downloaded and used. That is amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing because sometimes I go on and it'll say, okay, you can meditate now. There's 1,000, you know, 500 people meditating right now and you can join in. And another sentence I never thought I'd hear myself say, like, (laughs) oh, I can't wait to do my group meditation. You know, it catches on. It becomes like an addiction, like anything else in your life that makes you feel good. You want to do more and more of it. And believe me, that has changed. I mean, trust me, like 10 years ago when we were, we were starting this, I mean, one, it wasn't an app at that stage. We were running events, but we just hadn't got to that point in popular culture where people were happy to talk about sort of meditation and mindfulness and, and just looking after the health of the mind. I just don't think we were there at that point. No, it seems like there is a, a shift in consciousness happening. Yeah. I think also with the backdrop of our, our political system right now all across the I world. I haven't noticed, Chelsea. What's going on? Is, <laughs> yes, is yes, yes. Uh... Don't, if you don't know what's going on, it's better to <laughs> yeah. not look and just wait for it to pass. It's all the meditation. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. all the meditation. The, the more yeah. I watch the news, the more I meditate. Yeah. So, uh, but let's talk a little bit about your personal history. So you were born in London. I was, mm-hmm. yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> Take us back. What happened next over the next 40 odd years? So um, I was born in London, but I very, um, when I was about two, I moved to the southwest of England. By yourself? At two? All on my own, yeah. Wow. Uh, my parents are very progressive. They yeah. kind of, you know, just let us do whatever we wanted. And, it's um, more neglectful. Yeah. But yeah. If you can use whatever <laughs> let, words you let's want. Go with that. My mum insisted it was progressive. So um, let's go with that. Um, no, so we grew up in the southwest of England, which actually is a very progressive kind of place. 
which is probably why I ended up sort of going to meditation classes when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, that so, is progressive. Yeah, I think I think it was unusual for that time, especially these days. It's available in schools and all kinds of different places. But back then, that was a really kind of unusual, unusual thing. But I had a mum who worked, you know, she worked, she trained as a hypnotherapist, psychotherapist. You know, we had a flotation tank in our garage that people would come around and use. I mean... We were definitely kind of on the outer edges. On the of... fringe. That was definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were you like... You say that. Yes. Yeah. I, I catch what you're saying. Yeah. So in, in some ways, really, really normal kind of upbringing. You know, as a young lad, I was playing football and tennis and rugby and all those kind of things. I'm hanging out with my mates. And yet there was this other kind of side kind of going on as well. And with the parents like that, was your father into that too? My father then... most definitely was not like that, which is probably why they got divorced when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, my, so my dad was um, very strongly rooted in Christian faith. Some of that stuff was slightly outside of his comfort zone, I would say. Yeah. And very caring, very supportive father, but um, they had very, very different interests. Yeah. So growing up with a mother that was kind of spiritually yeah. connected, did that show in her parenting? I think it did. I mean, it's funny because on the one hand, like I say, that stuff was going on. And on the other hand, it was just a very normal kind of upbringing. Like, you know, I think she was very, um, she was very caring, very supportive. She was very well kind of educated, I guess, through her own training as a therapist. So she probably let some stuff go that some parents might not let go. But equally, she come down pretty hard on us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't get away with... It definitely wasn't one of those households where you could do whatever you wanted. And yeah, I think people have an idea of like people who are into that, you know, it's especially yeah. previously when when you, I'm sure we're close in age when we were growing up. It's like it was meditation was thought to be a lot more woo woo than yeah, it is now. For sure. Um, there certainly weren't apps or people. Well, there was no Internet at that point. So that's probably why there were no <laughs> there apps. There was that. There what was comes that. first, the chicken yeah. or the egg, the app or the Internet? Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so you grew up doing that. And was it something you were prideful of? Like, did you tell your, your bros I, that yeah. you were going home to meditate or get into a... I did. So I, I told one friend, a dear, dear friend of mine, who I trusted so much until that day. Um, I still love him now. But uh, I did tell him. And um, the next day I walked into school and it was into our, I can't remember, rural studies class or something like that. And everyone was sat on the desk cross-legged chanting sort of oming at me as I came in the room and I realized at that point I couldn't trust this really good friend of mine he told everybody yeah um and again it just I can't imagine for a minute that would happen now yeah like I mean that was so long ago I mean I can't even remember how long ago that was 35 years ago or something yeah um so it it became something that I just did and didn't talk about and then fast forward and you Hmm. decided to become a monk (laughs) I did yeah. Why? I know it it sounds within the context of how most of us live it sounds like a really big leap. For me at that time it felt like the most natural thing in the world. And, and everything in your life had been leading to that direction was there something that flipped the switch on for you? Yes, yeah, so I was um I I trained as a personal trainer. I was working as a personal trainer. I was studying sport. Which always leads to monkhood. Which always like everyone, right? All yes. the, all the personal the best personal trainers you know. <laughs> Very typical. End up being monks or nuns. No, so I've been training and working as that. I was at university studying sports science. So I was going down the route definitely of health, but not really feeling particularly fulfilled. And um, I was involved in a, a car accident. There were a group of us standing outside a, a party um, one night. And um, a drunk driver crashed into, into the group and killed two people. 
and injured, you know, a lot really badly. And I think of all the things that led up to it, that was one of the the major things that kind of got me thinking, am I doing as much with life as I would like to? And am I getting the kind of fulfillment out of life that I would like to? I definitely didn't go through a, a conscious process of should I be doing this or should I be a monk? What are the pros and cons of being a Buddhist monk or anything like that? I just found myself one afternoon with a strange conviction, like knowing what I needed to do. And I went into university that same afternoon and I told my, my lecturer that I was going to quit university and I was going to go and be a monk. And he said, you're mad. And he said, you should go and see your doctor. Um, and there's some really good antidepressants that you can try. Anti-inflammatory. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they give people who <laughs> want to be my... What are you laughing at, Brandon? You know that's, that's true. You know that I'm a pharmacologist. <laughs> <You are. laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, one thing led to another, and three months later I found myself in, in the Himalayas, you know. Wow. As now, one does. Yes. As this one is does, such, right? It's such an exciting life story. <laughs> and so when when you become a monk, you have to renounce or denounce many things, Right. You definitely give up a lot of stuff. Material things. Yeah, you give away. You actually give away everything. You get. You have to give away all of your clothes. You know, any money. I didn't have a lot of money at the time, so that was easy. What about your Pokemon um, cards? You have to give those away I, too. I should imagine you do. Yeah. I didn't have a large collection. Um, the only thing that um, that got away was my my mum stashed all my photos in the attic. She didn't want me to to give those away, um, but everything else kind of went. And you give up sex. You do give up sex as one of the many you things. You hesitated about that. Was that not part <laughs> I of the did, Well, it was probably the thing that I was most resistant towards yeah, yeah, at that one, age. One would be. I was 22 years old. Right. So that was one of the bigger challenges, I would say. But you felt the deepest pull you had was yeah. that you felt that you had to do something more to give back to life or to feel life. Like what was it that you were missing or that you were after? So I think there were, there were two components to it. I think part of it was an escape and part of it was an exploration i think the escape part was wanting to get away from a mind that seemed to be working excessively a bit like a washing machine just going round and round and round feeling overwhelmed by emotion and not really knowing how to sort of deal with that and then the kind of the exploration side was wanting to feel kind of more connected i think i felt quite isolated from from the world i felt although i was surrounded by people i felt quite lonely and I think wanting to connect and wanting to kind of almost get beyond the thinking mind. I wouldn't have known how to describe it at that time. Yeah. But I, I think that was where I, I wanted to get to. It sounds like like a term for enlightenment, right? <clears throat> to experience enlightenment? Yeah, I, I was definitely um, – and it's, it's funny in retrospect because, you know, it's kind of ridiculous as well, like enlightenment. I think because it's held up there as this, like, this idea, this Yeah, we goal need some new and, language. We, yeah, need we, new, we definitely We need do. to replace the word journey because that's do. so annoying Yeah, from The Bachelor. They ruined a lot of words. <laughs> and we need to replace enlightenment because, you know, know. even awakening feels like – You know, you have to have many awakenings, not just the awakening. And many awakenings, they say, lead to enlightenment. Is that accurate? Yeah. Well, look, the way it was described to me, and this won't necessarily resonate with everybody, but I I found it really helpful, was rather than thinking of enlightenment as a place over there, something we need to get to, somewhere we need to get, rather think about it as stability of being present. So in every single moment, that is an enlightened moment. If we are present in the moment multiple times throughout the day, then we're having multiple moments of enlightenment throughout the day. When we get to a point where we have stability of being present, non-distracted, there is an enlightened kind of state. 
Mm-hmm. And I found that a really useful way rather than thinking of always trying to get to somewhere or achieve something. Instead, in terms of letting go of everything and just being present. And when we do that, we kind of find what we were always looking for. Yeah. And the, through practice, you're able to be more and more present throughout yeah. the day. And just training. That's And it's, it's almost, I think it's, it's deceptively kind of uh, simple. It's almost so ordinary that we can't believe that that's what it is. And so we kind of find ourselves looking for something more than that. Right. And then we get disappointed and we set up lots of expectations and we get frustrated and we give up meditation and, you know, all Mm -hmm. these things that people get into and out of all the time. Yeah. And I think the most important lesson I've learned is that the more frazzled you are about making the time to meditate means the more you need to do it. Yeah. And the more impact it will have that day or in that time period. But back to your monkhood. Okay. So you make this commitment. How long is the commitment? So um, first you train as as a lay person. Then you train as a, as a novice monk, and, okay. then, and then you ordain as a, a fully ordained monk. So in Southeast Asia, I don't want to get into too many sort of technicalities here, but in case anyone's listening, well, thinking, I think it's pretty interesting. You know, so Southeast Asia, you can go in and out of the monastery up to eight times in your lifetime. Um, there is no sort of fixed term that you go in for. You can just go in; it's very easy. If you want to come back out a month later, or a year later, or five years later, and then you return eight times. You can go up, back in, and out up to eight times in your in your lifetime. And what happens after the eighth time? You're cut off. I think that's it. There's someone at the gate, sort of checking your stamp it's or like something. Like a punch saying, card you, at the you, coffee. Yeah, game. you can't come in. Sorry, okay. I don't know how it works. I didn't. I didn't. I trained in a Burmese tradition uh, for about five years, and then I swapped over the, to the Tibetan tradition for five years. And in the Tibetan tradition. You take a commitment for one year, three years, five years, or life. And, I mean, it's a massive jump, right, from five years to, to life. I feel like they should have had some more in yeah, between Yeah, like now. seven and a half years should be the next step. Something like yeah. that, yeah. It is. A, yeah, because I mean, how, it's a lot, right? Because you would have to, I would think a logical person or a reasonable one would have to commit to a certain amount of time before... First, take it for a little spin and see if this is something you can commit to for the rest of your life. Is that what most people yeah, do? So I thought this was this was kind of the genius of the approach. I thought was that so you go in and it's a little bit like university, you know. So you you go and maybe you take a three year commitment. It's like doing a bachelor's, right? And you if it's going well, you decide to stay. You take perhaps another two years commitment or three years commitment. It's like doing a master's. Some people will stay and do a, the equivalent of a PhD, and those will be the teachers that will live in the monastery forever and teach. And some people will leave and then go and kind of get jobs. So it's not like everyone goes in and stays in for life. There's definitely a sense of kind of coming coming and going. Mm-hmm. And I remember the very last commitment I made, I had to decide between three years and life. And when I set off to become a monk, I really thought I was going to do it forever. I, I really thought, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought that was going to be, I almost said journey, but I'm not going to say journey. I thought that was going to be my, my way, you know, in, in life. And so I had to go and see my teacher the next day and I decided I'm just going to leave it up to him. I genuinely couldn't decide. It was the first kind of moment where I wasn't really sure. And, um, and he said, well, why don't you just do another three years, kind of see how you feel at, at the end of that, and, um, and we'll talk again. And I'm really, really grateful that he just said three years rather than life because I'm happy sort of the direction life has has taken. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, we all are usually end up happy with our decisions in the long run, don't we? I I think so, more often than not. 
Yeah, as long as you're in the, you know, you have to accept it at a certain yeah. point that oh, this is your life, and if you're not behind it, then you're yeah. not you're not on your own team. And even even I think those decisions that seem really hard or that are difficult at the time, I think often in retrospect we look back and go, wow, that was so difficult, and yet now actually I'm so happy that that happened. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving some of your goals, I want you to know that there is online counseling available for you. It's called BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in all sorts of issues. So as we all know, everybody's dealing with something. So whatever your issue is, I want you to know that there is an outlet for you. I know everybody can't afford to go to a psychiatrist or seek professional help in their personal lives. You may not have the time, but everyone can go online. It's confidential, and for uh, Life Will Be the Death of Me with Chelsea Handler listeners, you will get 10% off your first month with discount code CHELSEA. So you can get started today. Go to betterhelp.com slash Chelsea. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the exciting adventure of the daily commute to the peace of mind that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service and legendary customer service. But Pamela Mund had one reason in particular. My skin is extremely averse to most fabrics, except for the soft, buttery feeling of leather. Thankfully, I found my clan of leather lovers in the biking community. It's been life-changing. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And so what does one do all day for three years? Are there different levels of training, I would assume? Yes. Yeah, so throughout that kind of time, there's a surprising number of options. As okay, a, well, I think as, you need to break them down a, for as us a monk because or I'm a very nun, curious you know. about so this. So you could live in the monastery uh-huh. and not necessarily do a ton of meditation. In fact, I know monks and nuns who do no meditation. They wanted to be in a community of like-minded people they do gardening and cooking and cleaning. They help run the monastery. They help keep it sort of ticking over. And, and then there are some that do a little bit of meditation some of the day and some of those other duties. And then there are those that are really kind of have a passion for meditation. I probably put myself in, in that bracket. Um, and so you do you tend to do a lot of retreat. So you might go into a, I don't know, three, three months, six months, year long, four year retreat. And you just, you meditate all day, every day, and that's that's the gig. We were at a, I was at a retreat last week at IMS, you know, <coughs> yeah, in Barry, know, yeah. Barry Massachusetts, yeah. for victims of gun violence. My friend put it together. Sharon Salzberg was yes. there, and some other teachers were there, and so it was victims of all different school shootings throughout the country. Wow. And it was a four day retreat, but there was a monk that was there. He came to breakfast every morning at eight forty five and right. in his robes and. Yep. You're not supposed to talk to him, and he was there for a year. But on either side of this retreat, there were two other retreats, and one was a silent retreat, and they said two people had been there for two years. And I just couldn't fathom the idea of something like that. You get into it. You settle into it. It Do you think a lot of people experience trauma and then go to do something like that? Yes, often. I think the challenge of that, though, is that it's a very revealing process, and often you experience those traumas, thoughts, feelings with greater intensity within a retreat because there's nowhere to hide from them. There's no way to distract yourself from them. So I think it can be a, a risk. I would always advise people if they've gone through a lot of trauma, start meditation just little and often. Make sure you're discussing those traumas with somebody with considerable experience and then look towards retreat as a, as a longer-term goal rather than thinking, hey, I know. 
I'll go and become a monk or a nun and dive into retreat for a year. I think that can be potentially sort of difficult. Right. Yeah. And so what was your transition like? I mean, you must have forged relationships with people there that you still have, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's funny. In, um, in some of the retreats, obviously, they are silent. So it's amazing the, the relationships you can form in silence. I mean, they're still your next door neighbors. You're still kind of in a room next door to them. You still see them every day. You just don't speak to them very much, you know. That might if, be the if, best if, way if, to if have a neighbor. It may, it may well be. There might be a lot of people. We should thinking. implement that as a house rule. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be great if we, we just, just communicate talk. via the ohos yeah. from now on. I would, yeah. yeah, that would be a lot, a lot nicer probably for everybody. <laughs> There's friends there who, yeah, they'll they'll be friends for for life, and definitely one of my teachers as well. He was my retreat master. He was a Tibetan man, abbot of the the Tibetan monastery, one of the ones that I trained in. In fact, we've remained so close a couple of years ago. Um, Rich, my co-founder, said, hey, look, you know, we, we do a yearly retreat for the team. We take them up into the hills of Malibu and do like a, a day up there. And he said, why don't you invite Lama over? And I, there's no way he's going to fly fly out to, tomorrow. He's been very supportive of what we've done, but I don't think he's going to fly. And I said, well, I'll ask. And he said, yes. And he, he flew out and it was kind of surreal. We were in a, a vineyard up in, I think it was at Gora Hills or somewhere, and to see these bright kind of robes and this Tibetan monk with his long kind of wispy silvery beard sort of sitting there at, at the front um, with these vineyards behind. It was amazing. And to see the team and the team to kind of have access to someone like that was was amazing. And what was yeah. your – I bet it was amazing. I mean, there it, there is definitely a power in a group getting together for the same goal, which yeah. is – I think the thing that I always get surprised about, and I don't have a lot of experience with retreats or or meditation other than what we'll talk about in a minute, but I think you expect people to be so evolved that there is no you know regular stuff you see in yeah. day-to-day life. Like, you know, I went to this one conference with a bunch of neuroscientists and a bunch of really esteemed therapists and authors, and there was definitely like a pecking order and all of this kind of competitive nature. And I remember saying to my sister, Oh, they're just like everyone else, yeah. you know? You hope it's, that people are going to be beyond that. I know you do, but they're not. We're not. And it is always extremely disappointing to, to discover. It's really interesting, though. You go into um, um, you go into a monastery. I'm not going to say which monastery this was. Don't worry. I won't know it. I, no one but, listening but, will. But yes, but, I catch your sure. point. I remember we'll get into to a monastery. And I'd come from a very, very serious monastery at that point. And I walked in through through the gates and this guy ran out of the door. And there were some monks and nuns sort of sitting around eating their lunch. And he ran out and he went, yes, Lama's going away. No meditation for a week. And to me at that time, I was kind of like, what? Like, I thought that's why you kind of came here. And I was very sort of pious and worthy in my kind of way, you know, at the time. I'd come from this very serious place. And I was quite, you know, judgmental kind of towards that. But actually, when I, the more time I, I spent in the monastery, the more I realized that, just because you shave your head and you put on a different set of clothes doesn't make you a different person. Monks and nuns are not like bunches of enlightened beings. You don't shave your head and become enlightened. You go in there because you realize how unenlightened you are and how much you need to train your mind. So it's actually more, it's quite, after a while it becomes, I found, I don't know about in kind of secular retreats and stuff, but in a monastic context, actually everyone was really aware of their own neurosis and everyone, there was a really good community spirit, which wasn't too hierarchical, which wasn't too judgmental. Um, but stick any group of humans together in a small place, stuff's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just does. 
the nature of being human. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, we can't have one without the other. You have to have like, yeah. you know, the good side of humanity and the icky side of humanity. And I, I remember going to one of my teachers and saying, we'd been doing a lot of retreat. And I said, hey, you know what, the group retreat's good, but I'd love to just go and do like a year on my own or something. And he was like, yeah. He said, maybe not just yet. He said, uh, he said, think about it this way. He said, you're still very rough. And he said, it's a bit like putting a, a stone in a washing machine or something, you know, or a tumble, a stone tumbler. He said, if lots of stones go in, he goes, if you go on there on your own, not a lot's going to happen. You're just going to go kind of round and round. He said, put lots of stones in there together, lots of you that are really kind of rough, and you're all going to kind of knock against each other. And over time, you'll become a bit smoother, a little bit softer. And I like that idea because mm, yeah. it's really easy. If you go away on your own, kind of hide. You can hide from all your own nonsense and think that you can just sit there kind of, you know, pretty calm and think that you're enlightened or whatever. When, yeah, it's, when, it's the same idea as like me saying, oh, I'm going to go up to Santa Barbara for three days on my own and really walk right. walk the beach up and down and really, for you know, think about what I'm going to do with the next year of my life. And, and what I ended up doing is going up there and watching TV for three days alone <laughs> yeah. in my hotel room. Like there's no, and there's no special no. time with myself. Exactly. You're just more able to act like, you know, to resort or defer to your bad habits. Yeah. Exactly. When you're not being pushed by other people. So that is yeah. a really valid point. But let's talk about the different types of meditation there sure. are. So um, so there's TM, which is really popular too. Yeah. A lot of my friends do that. I don't know a lot about that just from what I've been told. Well, why don't you talk to us about TM and what your – there's Buddhist meditation. Yeah, I'm definitely not an expert on TM. I grew up doing TM. So that was – TM is what I learned when I was 10, 11. I did it when I was 12, 13, 14. And so I have a fairly good sort of familiarity with it. They tend to use a mantra, so a word or a phrase that you repeat over and over, and, and that's your point of focus. Throughout the 20 minutes, you Throughout, you do 20 thing. minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, and that's kind of the, the structure for, mm -hmm. for TM. I think the beauty of it is the simplicity. There is just, there's just a word, and you just say it over and over and over again, and, and that's your focal point. I think that's, I, I like that about it. I think for some people, it can be a little bit, even if you think about about the, the word sort of transcendental meditation. For some people, that can be an obstacle or a barrier. It needn't be. Sometimes it can feel a bit mystical, perhaps, for mm. some. But that's true of all of these different types of meditation. Some will resonate with, with some people and not with others. And that's always my advice, kind of like, it's not that there's good ones and there's bad ones. Find what works for you. Find what talks to you, what resonates with you. Yeah, and so what style of meditation is yours? So mine is, is very much, having spent sort of 10 years doing that sort of, um, that training within the, the Buddhist tradition and in the, those later five years, the, the Tibetan tradition, um, it's Tibetan Buddhist practices mostly. And probably the one that I practice the most is called sort of resting in awareness. So it's where you don't really have a focal point as such. You're not necessarily focused on the breath or a visualization. You're simply allowing the mind to rest on its own, in itself. And sometimes it gets distracted, of course, but it's not like you're seeing the distraction then coming back to a point of focus. You feel kind of stable enough in the practice to just allow those things to come and go and not get too sort of caught up in them. Yeah, I think the, the, the th biggest thing that happens is people think they're doing it badly and you yeah. take so much judgment about how you're meditating like, oh, I can't get these thoughts out of my head. That's the point. The point is to accept that <laughs> yeah. you have all these thoughts and recognize yeah. how easily distracted you can become. There is no bad meditation, Chelsea. Right. There's really not. Right. I can't. I can't stress that enough. 
Because sometimes, like, I've noticed myself in the middle of my meditation, literally checking my phone for text messages, forgetting that I was meditating. Did I just in- say there was no bad meditation? No, no, the, <laughs> no, the, the, the really, there is no bad meditation. In the beginning, yeah. I was like, I realized how unfocused I was yeah. because yeah. I'd all of a sudden be like, wait a second, what are you doing on your phone? You were just yeah. meditating. That's how bad it was for me. Yeah. And so uh, how badly I needed it. Also, yeah. I know that was one of your issues when you started, right? Yeah. And I kind of took her lead on it. She'd be doing it and she would text me. And if I got there in the morning, she's like, hey, meditating for 10 minutes. And that was my way of knowing, like, she's going to be up there. She mm-hmm. needs to she needs to focus on the meditation. Yeah. Whereas now when she does it, sometimes I'll come in and out of her room. She doesn't even know I'm there. And I don't know if she's meditating. Right. She's just sitting outside doing it. So when you can integrate it into your life in a way that isn't something that you're like, I have to do this right now, and it just yeah. becomes a habit. It's impactful because now I do it, or sometimes I'll text her and be like, "I'm outside for ten minutes, and it's in the middle of the day. Yep. I'm gonna be meditating, or I'll just turn my phone on, do not disturb, and then she'll come down. She'll be like, "Where were you?" I was like, "Oh, I was meditating for ten minutes." Just like getting in the habit, yeah, of it being just your daily experience, not yeah. something you're setting yourself up to do. Yeah, I, I think that's the most important thing, actually. Just and it's, it takes a little while, right, to mm-hmm. to get to that point where. It has become so much part of your daily existence that you'd miss it if it if it wasn't there. And but it, it is really easy to be hard on yourself in the beginning yeah. when you start meditating. Like how she says she would get distracted. I would get more angry by the end of the meditation yeah. Yeah. because I'd be listening to your voice yeah. doing it. I mean, that would make anyone angry. And, to be fair. and no, and so it's supposed yeah. to be very calming and it's and it's guided, which is the yeah. best part. But by the end, you're like, why can't I just focus on what he's saying and let my mind go? Yeah. And I remember thinking... I heard someone say one time that it should be like a leaf floating down a river. Like that's right. how passing thought should be while you're meditating. You acknowledge it's there and you let it go. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like and so that's what I leaf. would try and remember. But in the beginning, you're just, you're like, I can't do it. I can't stick with it. And also right. for me specifically, and I know this is how so many people feel, it's that instant gratification. You're like, I meditated yeah. twice. Why don't I feel better? Yeah, you right. Know, why aren't I more focused? It's not working. I remember walking into my uh, psychiatrist Dan Siegel, I know you know yeah, him, I know Dan, went yeah. into his office and I was like, listen, I meditate. He goes, have you been trying to meditate? Because I was still, you know, on this kind of fast cycle of thoughts and everything was obsessive and I couldn't just sit still. Yeah. You know, he said, had, did you try to meditate this morning? I said, yeah. And I think it made me my day worse. Yeah. <laughs> I really had that argument because I was so frustrated with the inability to connect with it right away. And for most people, they don't have, I know I surely did not have the patience yeah. to understand that I had to commit to a certain amount of time, which in my instance was three months. And okay. I started with your three minutes, which yeah. was obviously completely doable for anybody to do three minutes a day. Yeah. And then by the time you get to day 10, you do want to bump it up to yeah. five minutes or 10 minutes. Yeah. And I, look, I think time is, is one aspect of it. I do think the other aspect is there is not only the sense of kind of what are we going to get out of it, but there's also a sense of, of our approach to it. I feel like I, sometimes I sound like a, a broken record, but hopefully not too many of your of your community have heard me speak before. But um, if you want to hear him sound like a broken record, you can just download the app and just listen true. to all the different that's meditation true. courses. There's a course for everybody. You can take a course on eating. You can take a course on sleeping. There's different levels of courses. There is. It's true. But I think our approach to it is that we should feel calm. We should feel relaxed. We should feel more focused. There is no should here. Meditation was never designed for those things. Meditation was designed to see our mind more clearly, to understand our mind more clearly so that we could benefit ourselves and we could benefit other people. So, And that's it. 
total. There's no more to it than that. Relaxation is a side effect. It's an amazing side effect. Focus is a side effect. It's not the purpose of meditation. If we sit down and we think, right, I'm going to try and make myself relaxed, we're already screwed. It's over. If we sit down and think, I'm going to try and make myself focused, we are already thinking about the process of focus and we're projecting an idea onto the meditation rather than simply watching the mind. So if at the beginning of every meditation you can let go, and this is a big ask, and this in a way is the practice of meditation, learning to let go of these things, you can sit down and go, okay, I'm going to let go of every idea that I ever thought meditation was about, and I'm just going to sit. doesn't matter what my mind does. I'm just going to learn to watch my mind. That is, I would say, the practice of meditation in its purest kind of form. And when we do that on a regular basis, then all those other things like relaxation and light focus and everything else, they come about kind of naturally. We don't even have to think about trying to make them happen. They just happen. But yeah. soon, yeah. And and the noise quiets down in a natural way too. Like I definitely noticed because there's an there's a period and I've spoken to Dan about this, I think, and you on this podcast about there's a period where you're really trying to be so self-aware that you become self-absorbed in that process because you're constantly right. thinking about your own behavior. And yeah. in my case, my own reactivity and my, you know, react, give myself the space, respond, where I'm constantly assessing my own behavior <laughs> yeah. that I'm running around all day just like obsessed with myself. And so yeah. self-absorbed that I'm like, oh my God, it's such a pain in the ass to be a mindful person. <laughs> yeah, and that's because we we tend to think that thoughts associated with meditation or mindfulness or with our behavior are somehow more important and we should take those seriously and we should be attached to those. Whereas thoughts about what a conversation we had yesterday or something that we're planning to do tomorrow, those aren't important. So most of us over time, we find it really easy to let go of the, the planning kind of bit and the, the reflection bit. But we tend to take really seriously the thought, oh, I wonder if that means, oh, I wonder if I'm meditating right. Oh, does that mm. make me a good person? And rather than just treating those as thoughts and going, oh, yeah, thinking and letting it go, instead we dive into it, we make it part of the narrative right. and we get caught up in a new storyline. So now we're no longer, the storyline is no longer what am I doing at work tomorrow? It's like, am I a good person? Am I meditating well? Am I being mindful? And we're then just thinking about that stuff. It's still noise in the mind. Mm -hmm. There is noise, but you do eventually come to, a, at least I have come to a much more natural place of where you started. I started meditating for my brain and my mind to quiet. Yeah. And you very naturally make the progression to move outward in yeah. a loving kindness way to the yeah. people in your life that are in trouble. And then you have a course where you're constantly meditating for people that you kind of you know, are ambivalent towards, yeah. um, you know, that you don't have the greatest feelings for. And I was just yeah. on a family vacation doing this every morning going, okay, I'm meditating on this person. I'm picturing them. And the visualizations yeah. also for me are really helpful. Do you do that? Do you do yeah. the visualizations? Cause that's, I, that's, yeah. I think what has been the difference for me sticking with meditation, which again, I'm not someone who's been doing it every day, but regularly, like mm -hmm. you do it every day, Chelsea. I would like to get to that point, but I'm still using it as like, as I really rely on it as like, I'm stressed right now. Like we were yeah. in the car the other day and my boyfriend's like, why don't you do headspace? Because I was wound so <laughs> tight and he could tell. And he's like, I think you just need a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I did it. And it really does help. You can still rely on it for that. Yeah. But it becoming part of your daily routine is obviously the goal. What do you think yeah. the biggest misconception about mindfulness and meditation that people have is? There are a lot, but I would say the biggest is that it's designed to stop you thinking. 
And that's why most people struggle with it. And that's why most people give it up. Because they don't want... Be- Be- because they, they think that if they meditate, their thoughts will stop. Oh. And they sit down to meditate and the thoughts keep going. And they're like, I'm, therefore, I'm no good at this. Uh-huh. Or therefore, meditation doesn't work. Meditation isn't designed to stop thoughts. So no wonder it's confusing, right? right? I would say that is the big... And also even it prevents people even from trying meditation because they think, oh, my mind's so busy that I, I could never meditate. It's fine. You can meditate with a busy mind. You can meditate with a quiet even mind. Even more of a reason to meditate. The it's busier your mind even is. even more reason. I mean, that is the number one excuse that everybody says, oh, I can't. Whenever I say to anybody, because when I start, you know, try a hat on for something and I, I overcorrect. So right. I've been like, you know, <laughs> banging this drum about therapy and meditation yeah. and awakening for the last six months. And I'll probably go another six months and then I'll become a monk. Watch. Do they accept women? Let me know. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah. you could write me yeah, a let, referral, let, let right? Let me know. Let me know. Based I'll on your you knowledge up. of me, I think that that's a slam dunk. <laughs> you would like that if I went away to become a monk, Brandon, wouldn't you? I would love you with you? a shaved head. <laughs> and as far as, but let's talk a little bit about the science, too, yeah. of meditation and behind meditation about, you know, I know I meditate every night before I go to sleep, too. Mm-hmm. I do your sleep meditation. And I also have gotten looks when people, you know, when I'm in the circles, when, yeah. when somebody asks me what my practice is and I say I'm new to meditation, I do, you know, 20 minutes a day on a guided app. I've yeah. definitely gotten the eye roll from several people yeah. that I'm doing guided meditation, which I want to say, hey, just, you know, that is so not the attitude that I'm yeah. joining this troop of people for. Well, it, you know, in those situations, I think it's always really interesting. You can kind of let that person have their moment of judgment. Like that's their own practice. If they're still working through that kind of that judgmental attitude just let them kind of do that like you have your thing mm-hmm. and enjoy that thing and let them have and their... just smile and say thank you say thanks very much yeah thank you because i'm sure you've gotten that from people in your circle oh. about being commercialized or selling out or whatever their judgment of you is for for yeah. creating an app i mean rewind so we launched the app eight years ago and rewind eight years i mean we got so many emails letters from angry buddhists kind of you know really upset about the fact that one we were putting on an app that we were charging for it and it took a little while to kind of really get comfortable with what we were trying to do we don't get that anymore I think it has changed I think people have just accepted I remember kind of researchers and professors writing to us saying it's ridiculous nothing can happen in 10 minutes and now most studies actually are done around sort of 10 15 minutes and there's a widespread acceptance that it's not about the the quantity it's about the frequency, the, the dosage, you know. So, um, yeah, we've had a ton of that in the past. And uh, that was, for me, that was a practice in itself, kind of not to be put off by that and to think, okay, actually this is something really kind of valuable and it's a way of getting it out to, mm-hmm. to more people. And, and the science, back to the science, what is some of the most surprising data that you've learned? So I think the, I mean, the, the, the stuff around neuroplasticity so the way in which our brain can actually change shape, that was the biggest surprise for me. So one of the, the monastery where I ordained at in India, um, I didn't know at the time, um, but some of the, the monks and nuns from there were being flown to America and going through fMRI machines, and they were looking at the brains to see what was different in the brains of monks and nuns and, you know, and the rest of us. And, and they found that so through the process of, of meditation, through the practice of, of mindfulness, the brain actually changes shape. So the areas, the parts of the brain, the cortex responsible for, for focus, 
the self-restraint, for the feeling of happiness, well-being. Those areas receive more blood flow, and as a result, they get thicker and stronger in just the same way as when we go to the gym and train a muscle, it gets thicker and stronger. So I never knew, I mean, they never knew that before they started doing that research. I certainly never knew that our brain had the capacity to change in that way. I always thought of meditation as, I don't know, it's the mind, you know, it's kind of intangible. But I think the research has shown that actually is a very tangible kind of impact, not only on our brain, but also on the the flow of harmful chemicals and hormones in our body can really kind of help regulate those things. Is there a time of day that's better than a, any other time of day? I think everyone is different. Are you, do you, when do you do yours? I do I mine first thing in the morning, but sometimes if... I also like to get stoned and meditate. I mean, that <laughs> for me in the beginning, it was very helpful to calm me down yep. because I had trouble sitting still. And so sometimes in the afternoon, if I'm stoned and I'm home, I'll go out and do 20 minutes. Sometimes I do it without the app now. I just go yep. sit. Now that you've taught me all these tools, now I understand them. And you have all those great little tools on it to show you what you should be thinking about when you're doing a body scan or what you're yep. doing with the visualization. But I do want to say with regard to attention and focus, uh-huh. I was having trouble f- like focusing enough to get through a book. I was yeah. writing a book, but I hadn't read a book in like three months yeah. because I was writing one and I was really deep into it. And once I was done with my book, I was having trouble focusing and I always love to read. Yeah. And because of the meditation, now my attention span is completely different. I don't daze off in the middle of conversations yeah. and start thinking about food. When <laughs> I'm talking to people now, I'm actually engaged and yeah. I pay attention. And I used to have like a very, very short attention span. Yeah. And I was creating that bad habit and yeah. getting more cute at my lack of attention and so it was a great reversal of that yeah that's the best i think yeah i think often the benefits you know people think about the benefits actually within the meditation itself you know kind of how am i going to feel at the end of the 10 minutes for me i'm always that much happier when people talk about the benefits in the rest of their life Mm -hmm. because i think that's actually where the magic happens it's it's being able to sit with another person and have a conversation and be present for that other person you know or being on the freeway here in LA and something kind of crazy happening and not freaking out. And I feel like those are the moments actually that make a difference in the world and where the ripples, the benefits of meditation are really kind of felt Mm -hmm. rather than necessarily just that time. But coming back to your question, best time of day. I think morning is the best time of day. That doesn't mean it's the only time of day. Any time of day is a good time of day. But if we do it in the morning, I think when it gets done, And two, you set yourself up in a way where you're more likely to be more mindful throughout the day. Right. It's kind of like setting an intention for the day, right? Exactly. Whereas you're saying that you're using it as kind of a recovery or a band-aid, so to speak. Like if you start to commit yourself to doing it each morning, then you probably won't have to do any sort of cleanup as often as you do, you know? Yeah, well, I stopped doing it at night for that reason. Mm. That after the impact of the day, sitting there and doing it, I didn't feel the benefits other than like how you do the sleep sessions. Mm-hmm. I do think I slept maybe more peaceful. But in yeah. terms of how my day went, I can totally see why morning would be most impactful. Yeah. What are your technology rules personally? Because I know there's, you know, that's a big topic of conversation because technology is the reason for our lack of attention, but yet it gives us so many great tools also. It's a big part. I will just say kind of meditation has been around for two and a half thousand years or so. They didn't have any technology back then in the way that we have it now. And people still struggled with their attention. It's really clear when you go back through the stuff. So I don't want anyone to kind of feel like it's impossible in this 
in this age. Like I think it just is part of being human. I think the the technology and the digital chatter has amplified the the noise in our mind, and and I think it's really important to set up our own boundaries. So, for example, if I get a new phone or laptop or anything like that, the first thing I do is take everything off it that I can. So. With a new phone, I take off any sounds. I take off notifications. Um, Why don't but, you just get a rotary phone and I'm, walk around with that? I've tried. It's hard to get a signal. It's hard. It um, is hard to get. You is. have to find an outlet. It, it, yeah. Exactly. And some people help you out, but not everywhere. But I, genuinely, I clear up the home screen so I have the minimum number. I have only the things that I consider essential like on my home screen. Anything social media, email, everything else is pushed off to another page. And then you have to make, it sounds like small things, but you then have to make the conscious intention to go to it rather than it simply being there. So in that moment of boredom, where typically you might just pick up your phone and press a button, all of a sudden there's like one more step mm -hmm. and it gives you another opportunity to think, huh, is that going to make me feel good? Do yeah. I really want to do that? So just remembering kind of that they don't own us. Sometimes I think we feel overwhelmed by the technology the phones don't own us. They can't tell us what to do. They just sit there on the table. So it's up to us to kind of define the relationship and to set it up in a way that works for us and makes us feel happy. Yeah, it is definitely up to us, like each one of us to set our own kind of parameters because even yeah. I was mindlessly, you know, you find yourself mindlessly scrolling down your phone or, you know, in my instance on Instagram, looking at things I don't care about in the middle of yeah. my day just because I have five minutes to kill. Yeah. I'd much rather be reading a book. And just by moving that into my social media pocket, right, I can't, I have to think to go yeah. there, makes a huge difference. I don't want to be on Instagram two hours a day, <laughs> you know, or in some cases, 27 hours a week. I mean, there are people that yeah. do that mindless yeah. and it's mind numbing. And then say they don't have time for meditation. Yes, right. They don't because you have to get up early and scroll through Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the issue is that it, meditation at that point is not a habit for them. Whereas yeah. you so absentmindedly go. Like there are times where I'll click my email open. Even the, I have no reason to check it Yeah. just because it's a habit that you get yeah. into for doing it. But it's that same thing with meditation that until you actively are doing it and it just yeah. becomes a habit, it's going to seem like a process. Yeah. Okay, well, this sounds like a good time to take a break. Mattress Warehouse knows that buying a mattress can be tough. With so many choices, where do you start? Introducing Bedmatch, a patented diagnostic system that determines your pressure points and recommends the mattresses that are best for your individual sleep needs. And it's found only at Mattress Warehouse. Come try Bedmatch at a mattress warehouse near you. Visit sleephappens.com for locations and get free next day delivery on select purchases. Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mm. yeah. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I want to know how long it took you to record all of those sessions because yeah. they're endless. There's a lot. And are there tricks to, I mean, how do we, you, you had to record every single one, it seems like, because for the different time in, periods. Yeah, in real time. So I think we worked out, we've done about 2,000 hours total. I think it's about 1,200 hours currently on the app. The first one was a big one. So version one, so 
this was back in 2012, we didn't really kind of know um, how to, to do it and apps were new. And Rich just said to me, look, it'd be great if you could try and recreate what you used to do in the clinic where you see people kind of like one-to-one. And it was a course. And he said maybe kind of over a year. So we came up with a 365-day course. And I just went into the, the studio with a, an incredibly patient and understanding sound engineer. And we just recorded 365 20-minute long meditations um, and took it. It was a progressive course over over a year. But it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time. And how how long did it take before the app really took off in financial terms for you guys? So we launched the first app in 2012. I'd say 2014 was the turning point. So we just moved to America and Apple did a huge promotion around us. And all of a sudden, like, I mean, at the time, I think we had about 10 people in the team in the in England, maybe about 20 in the US. And within a year or 18 months of that, I think the team was like 150 and like, things were just absolutely kind of flying. It, it was a big, a big change. Yeah. So what is some of the feedback that you've heard that is your major motivating <clears throat> factor? I mean, what is a story that you've heard that sticks out for you from a user? Yeah, there are, I mean, there are so many different ones and all for different reasons the ones that tend to really kind of stick with me they tend to be they're not sad but they're deeply kind of moving like people like not knowing kind of going through you know a really difficult process maybe in hospital remember a husband saying he was going through his wife was dying and they they didn't know what to do and they did headspace and they did it together and like that was her final kind of minutes uh, for me, when I yeah. I never imagined ever that someone would use the app like in in that way. Yeah. So I still find those things they, yeah, they they move me. Yeah. A lot. Well, it's like if you can help one person, they say, and with something like this, you're helping millions of people. So it must be such a great feeling. It must be just so fulfilling. It is. I don't. It's a funny thing. Well, one, it's a big team effort, right? There's like you know, there's. 300 people kind of that, that make it make it happen but also I don't think about it it would be I don't think I could do my work and think about it in that way I don't ever sit down and think there's this many kind of people listening to it I just sit down and I imagine I'm chatting with a friend right and ho- hopefully kind of as as the person on the other end of that kind of that's how it feels it's like it's just it's just us and it's not that I'm a teacher with some kind of amazing experience we're just friends like and i have i've done a little bit of training i have a little bit more experience and i can kind of help maybe just you know offer a little bit of extra sort of support and guidance that's that's my i still feel like i'm learning like i'm a student and so it's an opportunity for me to to practice at the same time yeah it's nice for people to have humility like you especially straight white men they need it right now (laughs) everybody needs a good dose of humility (laughs) Uh, so what's your meditation practice like now? So it's, um, I would describe it as since having young children, it was becoming a lot more flexible. So when I came to um, LA, I was still living a bit a bit like a monkey. I was here with my wife, but in I was, I'd get up at four, I'd do my meditation till five, and then I'd go surfing, and then I'd go to the office and everything else. And then we had young kids, and now I do it when I can. So some mornings they sleep late, and I get to do my meditation in the morning. Sometimes I have to do it at lunchtime. Um, I'm lucky I have a space at the office where where I can do it. Do you um, meditate with your children? I've done it a little bit with Harley. So the kids are five and two. 
Um, the two-year-old is definitely kind of not quite there. <laughs> he's he's likely to be the he'll take to it more naturally. I think the older one is. I mean, he's got a lot of a lot of energy. One night I did decide he wouldn't go to sleep. It was so late, and my, my wife said, "Well, you just try just try the app with him, you know." And I'm like, "Well, I could just talk him through it." And she's like, "No, no, he, he'll <laughs> like he'll like the fact that it's on it's on the right. phone, you know." So I put it on, and um, and he looked at me. He said, "But that's you, Daddy." And I said, yeah. And he said, can can I listen to Peppa Pig instead? So, I mean, he has, at this stage, he has no interest kind no. of in listening to me. I think probably now we have a we have a female voice. A friend of mine has recorded all of the, or is in the process of recording everything. And where, what uh, kind of accent does she has? Because she, I'm accent she has, specific. She has a British accent. Okay, good. I like a British very accent. Well spoken, yeah. Very well spoken. Very well spoken. And um, so I'm hoping that he might, that he might listen to listen to Eve and see see how that goes yeah because people are very noise sensitive yeah you know if you don't like somebody's accent or if you don't like the way somebody you know I think for me I don't like when everything's too precious you know I I agree that kind of that's the whole judgment I had towards that like crunchy granola you you know you think that it's very unrelatable to me I like people like you know like a cynical bitches who meditate I want to know what they're doing because that's how I feel that's why we get on so well that's why you enjoy this because you're a cynical bitch just (laughs) like me great good to know (laughs) no I think I think it's just I think it's just it's showing practical. up. It's showing up and being real, right? Yeah. I I have in all of those those different places that I trained, where people spoke like this and they were very like. That is in no way real. That is not how they were before they turned up to that place. There's no way there's people walking around like that's real. The when I met sort of Tibetan masters who've been meditating for thirty odd years, they weren't talking like that. They were they were quite boisterous. They were fun. They were passionate. They were laughing. They were crying. They they were like real human beings. And for me, that really kind of emphasized the fact that it's not about trying to be a particular kind of person. It's just showing up, being real, being yourself. And that's okay. That's yeah, enough. I think there's also a lot of self-consciousness that comes with it. You know, I know yeah. that I felt it's, you know, if, you, if you're not comfortable sitting somewhere with your eyes closed, it's a level of, you know, self-consciousness and a level of immaturity. And, you, you know, you have to be open to 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 that experience to being kind of vulnerable in a way like okay i need this saying that you need meditation is already kind of being vulnerable and saying yes i could be doing this life thing a little bit better and a little bit in a more calm way yeah what are your thoughts about having a cultural shift right now like a shift in consciousness do you believe that that's happening right now or do you want to believe i want to believe it no i'm not i'm not a big believer in the whole kind of like age of Aquarius, whatever, like, you know. Are you into Eckhart Tolle or um, Deepak Chopra or any of those people? I've heard of them. I don't, I don't, I haven't, I haven't read them. I, I tend to sort of, as I say, I've I've learned from my Tibetan teachers and they Mm -hmm. tend to be my, my point of reference. But obviously those, those guys have been hugely impactful in, in the West, especially. I think there is an increasing vulnerability I think people are more willing to to talk about the the mind and the challenges of the mind, and um, hopefully people are more willing to sort of come out of the the meditation closet and say, yeah, like you know, I I do this. But looking around the world right now, I don't see that we're moving to a point of kind of a radical transformation in consciousness where everybody's that much more empathetic and kind and compassionate and 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 aware. Maybe it's happening in places that I'm not looking, but. When I look around the world, I don't see that happening. I actually think there is just a constant 
kind of shift in in humanity like we're always kind of changing we're always evolving we can't necessarily change everything around us in the world but we can start with ourselves and if we can make a difference in our own mind then hopefully we can make a difference to the people around us who we interact with in the world and in time that can kind of create change in our, yeah and, on our and it's scale. also it's also been my experience where it's nice not to always be kind of advertising like what you're doing rather than and, and rather letting people see that your yeah. behavior is different and that yeah. you're calmer and then people coming to you going what's going on what you know what are you doing yeah. oh i'm meditating no way you're meditating yeah. it's like yeah i'm meditating and it's working yeah. it's like a huge difference so it's nice because i always have that disease where i want to tell everybody <laughs> about what i just found out about you know without sitting yeah. with it and finding out whether it's reliable or you know if yeah. it's a trend or a fad or what have you and look and i think that i think that's a great thing to have right like passion and wanting to to share stuff but what i what I love and what's always kind of comforted me with meditation is that no matter how popular it is right now or it becomes right now, you can never really talk about it as a fad. I mean, it's two and a half thousand years old. That's like the longest fad ever, if it is a fad. I just, I just think it is slowly, I think that noise that we talked about, that amplification of noise from technology has created the conditions for more and more people to look for peace of mind. And meditation is just such a good place to start when you're looking for peace of mind. So has your objective with the company stayed the same from the inception to now, or is it changing? I think it's it stayed pretty consistent. You know, we the vision was to improve the health and happiness of the world. Um, it, so mission accomplished. There you go. I mean, you could just march <laughs> off into the sunset, I'm not sure I guess. about that. Why don't you just it's, go surfing? <laughs> Some days I'd love to. Yeah. Some days I'd love to. I think, look, the world is the world is big. Um, we haven't reached that many people kind of relative to, to the size the size of the world. But I do think you can look at it in different ways. When when we get a message in from, I don't know, a mum who's at home on their own, really struggling to like, look after, or dad like, looking after the kids and stuff, and they say what a difference it's made in their life. To me, that's improving the health. It doesn't matter. It's not just about the numbers of people. It's like, can we make a difference in a number of people's lives? Mm-hmm. That was our vision then. It still is. And, and what advice do you have for people who are new to meditation, who have tried it, they don't feel like it's working, yeah. uh, you know, and all the things that excuses that we can come up with? Yeah. So I would say first, like, look at look at what your intention is. Why are you sitting to, to meditate? The more clarity we have around the intention the more likely we are to do it. Find a time. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. Don't worry about the morning thing. Just find a time in the day and commit to three minutes in the same way that you did, Jesse. The most important thing is just getting started. It's not about how long you do it for. It's just about getting started. Create that regular habit. And after a while, you will find that you naturally kind of want to do a bit more and probably you have room in in your day to do a little bit more. And then these three things around your intention and your approach. So number one, it's not about stopping thoughts. It's really not about stopping thoughts. I'm telling you this right now. I know that you're still going to go away and probably think at some stage it's about stopping thoughts and get frustrated that the thoughts won't stop. It's about seeing the mind more clearly, stepping back from thoughts and being able to witness them. So that's number one. Number two, no amount of effort will bring you relaxation. In the same way that when you try and go to sleep at night, you can't force yourself to go to sleep. In fact, when you do, it gets really frustrating and you move away from sleep. You can't force your way to to relaxation either. So as much as possible, take your foot off the gas. It is the 
only three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes in the day when you have nothing to do and nowhere to go, no one judging you or anything else. So no effort required. And then the last one, if you've seen, you guys might have seen that the blue sky animation on the on the app. I don't know if you have or not. But just this idea that we always tend to be looking for something else somewhere else. And the analogy that was given to me by my teachers was was the blue sky. Like the mind is like the blue sky. The clouds are just the thoughts. Some days it's really cloudy and we forget about the blue sky. But if you get in a plane and you go through the clouds, the blue sky is still there. The truth is the blue sky is always with us. The calm, the clarity, the empathy that we look for in our life, that is with us. It has always been with us. It always will be with us. The trick is to not forget that on those very cloudy days. And when we sit to meditate, rather than trying to push all the clouds away, instead to just wait for the weather to change, wait for the clouds to kind of start to dissipate. And in time, you'll naturally experience more of that blue sky. Yes. And something that you mentioned also on Headspace is everything is temporary. All your thoughts are ephemeral. So, you know, when you're feeling very happy, that doesn't last forever. When you're feeling really down, that also doesn't last forever. And to know that these thoughts are moving throughout your day and it's you're not in charge of holding on to any of them, that they're just shifting through you and to accept it and not resist the you know negative thoughts or self doubt. It's okay. They come and then they'll go. Yeah, exactly that. And, and I think we tend to get caught in these these storylines in our mind. We get stuck in a groove, and it's hard to imagine that'll ever change. But as soon as we apply that awareness to it, it disappears. Okay, I think we should end on a three minute meditation. We can do a meditation. Can we do that? Of course we can. Let's do just to introduce the people who haven't tried Headspace yet. I'd be yet. happy to. And then I'm going to come out with my own meditation app next week. I'm just going to announce this as the heads up. Okay. Lead us, Andy. All right. So wherever you are right now, doesn't matter how you're, how you're sitting. Just find a place that's comfortable doesn't for you. Doesn't matter if you, your feet are on the floor. I mean, that's preferable. Or you can sit cross, you, like, you can cross-legged. sit cross-legged. You can, I don't recommend cross-legged unless you've grown up doing that or unless you do a lot of yoga or something like that. Otherwise, it just becomes, you know, it just gets in the way a little bit for a lot of people. okay. But if you're really comfortable doing it, then absolutely sit cross-legged on the floor. You can sit on a chair. If you're sitting on a chair, ideally with your arms and your legs uncrossed. And if you're lying down, I'd suggest just sort of lying down on your back and just bending your knees to take the, the pressure off your lower back. And then the first thing I'd like you to do before you do anything else is just to set a very soft focus with the eyes. So you're looking directly ahead, but you're not focused on one particular point. You're just taking in the entire space around you. And just maintaining that very soft focus, just taking two or three big deep breaths, breathing in through the nose, and out through the mouth. So as you breathe, as you breathe in, notice how the lungs expand as the body fills with air. And as you breathe out through the mouth, just notice how the muscles in the body soften. And with the next out breath, just closing the eyes and just feeling the weight of the body press down into the chair, the floor, the bed, wherever you are. And just taking a moment to enjoy that feeling of having paused, having stopped, nothing to do, nowhere to go. 
So just allow thoughts to come and go. Don't worry what the mind's doing. Just going to focus on the body for a moment. Notice how the body feels, whether there's a sense of heaviness or lightness in the body right now. Whether there's a sense of stillness or restlessness. And as you become more aware of the body, just starting to notice the breath as well. Notice how the breath or how the body is breathing. You don't have to breathe in any special way. Just noticing where in the body you feel that movement of breath. So for some people it's the stomach. Some people the chest. If you can't feel that movement, just gently placing your hand on the stomach. And we're just going to stay with that movement, breath, that rising and falling sensation, just for another 30 seconds. So if any time uh, a thought passes by, just seeing it, letting it go, and coming back to the breath again. Remember, nothing to do, no effort required. Seeing the thought, letting it go, and coming back to the breath. And then just coming back to that feeling of weight once again. The weight of the body against a chair, floor, a bed. Back to that feeling perhaps of the feet on the floor or the hands and the arms, the weight and resting on the body or by your side. And then in your own time, just very gently open the eyes again. Okay. Good times. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. It was really nice to meet you. Likewise. Thanks for having me in. Yeah, now I can put a name to the voice. Andy, why don't you say your last name (laughs) so I don't fuck it up? Andy Puttacombe. Andy Puttacombe. There you go. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Okay, Brandon, how did you like talking to Andy Barracuda? I liked him, too. I love his voice. And he's normal. He's not like a, you know, what's the word? He's not like over enlightened. Like he's a yeah. dude. And he's he's cute. Yeah, too. he's cute. He's cute. He's married, everybody. So don't get your panties in a twist. Okay, so we have some announcements to make. I'm coming in October to Australia. And then I'm coming to Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. And then Auckland. 
And those are up and announced, so you can buy your tickets for that. And I am about to announce a whole round of new cities in America and Canada. So I am going to announce in the next couple days on my Instagram and social media platforms dates and tickets available for places like Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Grand Rapids, Michigan, Vancouver, Toronto, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Oklahoma City is a place I've never been to, and uh, Salt Lake City and Kansas City. So those announcements are coming soon. So if you're looking to catch my stand-up tour, Life Will Be the Death of Me, um, pay attention to my social media channels, and I will make that announcement in the next couple of days. They're just finalizing some of the routing. I post a lot of articles on my Countable page, so if you're looking for articles that are reliable and truthful and there are issues you care about, you can go to Chelsea Handler's Action Center. It's at Countable.us. You always want to follow Emily's list if you're um, interested in getting progressive females elected. Which we all are. Which we all are, right? Or should be. Yes. Elect more women. We need more women. Men have fucked us up. No, we've all fucked us up. We just need more women. We need this. Uh, we need our uh, representatives and our government officials to reflect what the actual country looks like, not old white guys. Okay. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Life will be the death of me. Is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Pee-wee Gaskins Was Not My Friend is a new true crime podcast from iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures. He just killed whatever he wanted to when he wanted to. Pee-wee manipulated one unwitting accessory into aiding him with his final murder. But it didn't take much to find out the truth about him. Listen and follow Pee Wee Gaskins Was Not My Friend on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.